Well, as you might know, I'm sure you do, yesterday was a very special day in the life of our nation. And you will have followed it, caught up at least, and so on. Yesterday we got ourselves a new king. Well, not quite. He'd actually been king for about eight months. But yesterday we took someone who was already king, we put a crown on his head, we publicly affirmed him and proclaimed to the world, this is our king. And I thought that was an interesting thought. Someone who is already king, but was publicly affirmed and declared by his people to the world, this is our king. Well, there's a message for you to unpack. <clears throat> Which isn't quite what I'm saying, but uh, it's part of it. It is about hearing God. We're still thinking about hearing God at this particular time. And this time I was told, is there anything that we haven't yet covered? Is there anything that needs a bit of extra emphasis? Is there any way in which we can continue this series, but perhaps also transition into what we're going to be thinking about next, which is more about the kingdom of God? So hearing God as king seemed to me to fit all those particular criteria. So I'm going to start by reading something from the book of Revelation, a book which contains as much hearing from God as any other, for what I can work out. And if there's a copy nearby or you've got one, uh, now's your chance to uh, follow what I'm going to read. So I'm starting in chapter 1, but I won't be ending there. But I'm starting in chapter 1 and I'm picking it up from verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Let me just point out at this stage that the phrase the Lord's day does not refer to Sunday. That wasn't a, a title that was used until centuries later. So it must mean something else. It doesn't mean that John had managed to find a service somewhere. He stumbled across Pat Patmos Evangelical Church or perhaps the Church of the Blessed Revelation or something. This could have been any particular day. What was more important was that he was in the spirit. There were two actual possible ways of thinking about this particular day described here as the Lord's Day. There was one day throughout the Roman Empire where everybody had to acknowledge that Caesar was Lord and bow down and probably offer some incense. Maybe it was this particular day, the Lordy Day, as it was known. Or it could be that it's referring to the Day of the Lord, which is the way the Bible describes what happens towards the end, and John was going to get new visions about that Day of the Lord through the Spirit. Well, when there's two good uh, explanations, I tend to take them both. But the point is, he was in the Spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Tiatira, Tardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? How do you see a voice? <laughs> I think it means obviously he wanted to see who was speaking to him. See whose voice it was. So I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. 
And at that point, he got an almighty shock. And this morning, I'm going to tell you about three shocks that John had, and this is the first one. When he turned around to see the voice that was speaking. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This was someone that John hadn't seen for at least 50 years. It was quite a shock, unexpected, very sudden. I don't know what it's like when you come across someone you haven't seen for 50 years. Uh, obviously, I don't have that experience yet. Some of you might. <clears throat> well, let's say 40 years then. Is that fair? 30? Well, a long, long time. Suddenly you see someone that you didn't expect to see again. And you're busy trying to work out who, who they are, where you last met them. And in the meantime, of course, your voice keeps going. Your, your mouth gets ahead of your brain. It's great to see you. You haven't changed a bit. What, after 40 years? I mean, the hairline's receding, the waistline's increasing, there's lots more wrinkles, but you want to be polite. No, you haven't changed a bit. And you still can't work out who they are. <clears throat> so you keep going. So what have you been doing then? What, for the past 40 years? Well, you really want to know. And eventually you do work out who it is. And that's when you remember that the last time you saw them and said goodbye, you desperately hoped you'd never see them again. <laughs> well, all that to tell you that that wasn't the case with John. John knew exactly who this was. No names are given. No details like that exchanged. But he knew that he was once more face to face with his Lord, his Saviour. And indeed, from this description, his King. Because this the commentator says is a bit like someone who is dressed like a judge or a king or even a bit of priest there as well. It's all these things put together. And this was a mighty vision. The last time that John has seen Jesus, yes, he was in a resurrected body and he was disappearing back into the heavenly places. But he'd never seen him like this before. And the only reaction that he could find was to fall at his feet as though dead. He certainly couldn't say, you haven't changed a bit. He'd changed a lot. Nor did he ask him what he'd been up to for 50 years or so. Oh, just ruling the universe, you know, here and there. Well, actually, John was going to find out a bit more about that in due course. But at this point, 
That vision was such that he fell at his feet as though dead. Now twice more in the book of Revelation, John does the same thing and it's a mistake. He's told to get up immediately. It's an angel or a messenger of some kind that he has fallen down at the feet of and that wasn't right. But here it was exactly the right thing to do. And I don't know how long he stays there but he doesn't dare get up until eventually Jesus leans over and places his right hand on him and says, you better get up, I've got a lot for you to do. You're going to do a lot of writing in the next few hours. It isn't going to be easy. You're going to have to write very quickly. You've got to get every word absolutely right. But what I'm going to say to you is so important that this needs to be written down. So do get up. And then comes the second shock. Because the first thing he has to write about are seven churches. Seven churches he knew very well. He was probably the overseer of this little group of churches in Asia Minor. So what have you been doing, Jesus, in the past few years? Well, I've been looking around your churches. In fact, I've been looking after them in your absence, because remember John was at Patmos because of the persecution. But actually, I've been there all along. And you didn't always notice, but I was there. And I've got a few things to tell you about them. Because not everything I've seen I quite like. But I'll tell you the good things as well as the bad things. But I want you to tell them what their king thinks about them. And so John gets another shot because Jesus is about to start and talk about these churches that he's been keeping an eye on. And he says good things and he says bad things. So we want to hear from Jesus, do we? <laughs> we want to be hearing from God. Do we want to hear from God like this? Do we want to hear from Jesus when he says, I know your deeds? I know what you're like? Do we want to hear him say, I have this against you? Because that's partly what hearing God is about. It isn't always just the nice things. There are some good as well as some bad. But if we really want to hear from God as our king, we may well find that he wants to tell us things that otherwise we might not want to hear. Every one of these letters says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But what the Spirit says is what Jesus will say. And I'm going to explain a bit later that it's also what the Father will be saying as well. What we need is a big vision of Jesus. This book of Revelation is about voices and visions, about the two things together. I turned and I saw the voice. We've done a lot of listening to God, perhaps it's time to do some looking. We've done a lot of hearing, perhaps we should do a lot more seeing. Don't be afraid. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look at me. I'm alive. Forever and ever. Now look at me. Because I've got a lot more that I want to say. A lot more that I want to share. That was the second shock. 
when he found what Jesus had to say about the churches. And we're going to skip past the details of that, and I'm going to turn now to chapter 4 for John's third shock. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet, that's the same voice. This is still Jesus talking. But there before him now is a door standing open in heaven. He's now in the spirit. He's looking at something completely different. And that voice said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircling the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits, or perhaps better, sevenfold spirit of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all round, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created. And have their being. It was very unusual for someone in a piece of literature like this to actually be invited up into the throne room of heaven. He's now an onlooker but with visionary access, a scene so remarkable that John is going to struggle from this point onwards to really depict it uh, in words and pictures can't really do it justice but I've got some anyway because just to give your eyes something to focus on. And if we've got them ready, can we have some pictures? This is just artist's impression of what it might have been like. And it's just really to see how difficult it would be to particularly just keep rolling them and we'll just see lots of different attempts to portray what I've just read. Poor old John, eh? Having to try and uh, put all this down and give us some impression of what it was like. Well, you can draw your own. Well, you can try. <laughs> but I think those words are, are quite enough. But there's an interesting question that comes out of this. Thank you, Josh. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. I wonder who that was. Who was sitting on the throne? Again, it's not someone that's named. Now, you know what the answer is, as always, whenever someone asks a question like that, who could this be? You know the answer is always Jesus, don't you? 
Yes, even if it doesn't look like Jesus or whatever. No, this wasn't Jesus. Did you realize that? In the book of Revelation, it isn't Jesus that's sitting on the throne. It's the Father. It's Almighty God himself. Now, Jesus is there, but I invite you to read more carefully at some point what it actually says, because it says Jesus, who's often depicted as the Lamb, is there, but he's standing near the throne. The worship and so on, uh, it's, uh, and salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, who is usually standing somewhere nearby. And in this particular case, if we read on into chapter 5, we'd realise that it's that the right hand, in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, there is a scroll, and the Lamb comes and takes it from the hand of the one who sits upon that throne. Now, I know that in other places Jesus does indeed have a throne and he sits on a throne, which is absolutely fine. But in the book of Revelation, and this is the bit I want to really underline, we have to realise that the Father himself, who is on the throne, usually says of Jesus that he sat at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And of course, yesterday uh, we had two thrones, didn't we? There's two people that actually were being crowned on that same day. So yes, Jesus is there, and of course, he is uh, enthroned in, in one sense. But I want to really point out, and I'm not trying to be pedantic, although I love being pedantic, but not this time. <clears throat> but I want to say this. Let's not forget that this is the Father who is on the throne of heaven. And if you want to hear God, you've got to hear from the King of heaven himself. Oh yes, you can say, uh, the Spirit told me, or Jesus told me, uh, the Lord said. But the whole thing has to be completely from the whole Trinity. You can't hear from one without the other. So if you're saying, yes, I've heard something from God, you're actually saying you've heard from the one who sits on the throne of heaven. Wow. How do you feel about that? Thrilled? <laughs> or is it very awesome? Is it full of great responsibility? This is not something trivial. And I think the more we want to hear from God, the more we ought to look and see who exactly is on the throne. We need a bigger vision of the throne room of heaven and who is on it. And you don't get that unless you've had a bigger vision of Jesus and you've fallen at his feet as though dead and waited for him to say, now get up because I want to show you something. Now come up here and I will show you far more, far more. But it starts with falling at the feet of Jesus as though dead and waiting for him to say, come up here. Now as we explore this theme of the kingdom of God in the weeks, months, who knows how long to come, let's bear in mind all the time that we need to have this bigger and bigger vision. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we need that heavenly vision then. And we need it by having a new vision. It might be a shock. It might be that we see Jesus in a way we've not seen that before. We've got too sort of familiar. It's been sort of 40 years of saying, yes, of course, I, I know who Jesus is. But perhaps there's more. And you always come to the Father through the Son, don't you?
And in this case, it's the risen, glorious son. See, the kingdom is really the king himself. It's his kingship. It's his power. It's his glory. We can get a bigger vision of it, but it's already there, waiting for us to experience more, to explore more, to make more real in our lives and in our community. But the kingdom of God is primarily the God of the kingdom. Does that make sense? The kingdom of God is primarily the God of the kingdom first. Get that vision. You see, if there's no king, of course, there's no kingdom. That's why that uh, Charles has already been king for eight months. The moment his mother stopped breathing, he became king. Otherwise, we would no longer be in a United Kingdom. We can't put the United Kingdom on hold for eight months until we crown someone. So someone has to accede to the throne straight away. But of course, a, a king sitting on a throne all by himself with no one else there doesn't really constitute much of a kingdom either. Just imagine. <laughs> that wouldn't have worked. So there needs to be both a king and people who give their allegiance to the king. That was an interesting part of yesterday, wasn't it? The Archbishop of Canterbury and even uh, William, his son, declared their allegiance uh, to our new king. So there needs to be these both, as, both these aspects, a king and people in submission to him. And when people are ruled by someone whose will is law, then that's when a kingdom happens. Now, of course, in our case, it's not, in that sense, a real kingdom. We've got someone reigning who doesn't rule. There are very few occasions when our monarch can exercise his own authority. He doesn't really make laws or dictate how we should live. I'm not well up in history, but I believe sometime in the past, uh, one king did try to uh, take control and override parliament and make the laws himself. I think he was also called Charles and he lost his head. But the point is that with our king, you can't ignore anything that he says. Your life isn't going to be much affected, really, by the new king of England. You're not really going to stop and think, I wonder what he wants me to do. I wonder if I ought to find out what he would do in those circumstances. You're not going to make any decision in your life that's going to really pay much attention to what Charles or even Camilla might say or wish. But that can't be the case with the King of Kings, with the King of Heaven. What our King says matters and goes on mattering. There's no idle words from him. Now, I thought this would be a good opportunity to remind ourselves of our name. It's very easy to get used to it, what we're called. So who are we? What is our name? What are we called? I can hear one person whispering something. What is our name? We are called the... What are we? What are we? I think we're getting there, but listen carefully. Are we the King's Church? Or are we the King's Church? Did you hear that? What's the emphasis? Are we the King's Church? 
Are we the king's church? You got it? Where's our emphasis? To be a church? Or is it the king's church? What's the most important thing? God is looking for people whose orientation is towards the kingdom and the king rather than their church, fellowship, denomination or anything else. What do we seek first? Exactly. And if that's our name, then that's something we're going to have to keep reminding ourselves about and live up to it. And if we're putting it on the front of a building, which in fact we already have, I notice as we walk in, if we're going to call ourselves the King's Church and put it out there for everyone to see, we better make sure we really are the King's Church and not just the King's Church or anything else. It's important. Also, I notice we've got an apostrophe. Now, I'm not big on the history of that apostrophe, I must admit, but I'm really glad it's there because it says who we belong to. We are the King's Church. Perhaps God has been waiting for us to think of it that way. Perhaps we always have. But let's live up to that name that we want to be the King's Church. Now, I say we need this vision. That's really what I'm here to tell you about today. I've tried to give you that vision from Scripture, but we need it ourselves, really. This bigger vision of Jesus, this bigger desire to fall at his feet until he opens up heaven and says, now look, and I'll tell you things that you never dreamt of before. It's going to take us in new directions, perhaps, but I'll tell you this, no amount of brilliant teaching that we put together, no amount of great sermons that we do can ever compensate for having a vision like that. Without a vision like that, however good the teaching, it can fall flat. But with a vision like that, who knows? Who knows what we will see? Who knows what we might become? It might end up taking us into parts of scripture that we haven't gone into before. We might get lots of shocks. I just want to say again, we need an open Bible. Yeah, an open Bible that we all read and we want to learn more from. So hearing God, yes, let's keep on hearing God, but let's start to see, let's start to look. Let's start to look and see the voice that's been speaking to us and see what else he has to show us. So yesterday, our nation took someone who was already king, publicly affirmed him and declared him to the world, acknowledged him, whether he's worthy or not. But we have someone who is worthy. We too need to take the king who already is and make him more fully ours and declare him to the world. This is our king. He can be your king too. And one day there will be a coronation in front of the whole of creation. But we can get ahead a little bit. We can get ahead. Maybe in the life of the nation we're still living in the afterglow of what happened yesterday and we will do for a few more days. But sooner or later people will go back to their lives as though it hadn't really happened. Because does it really matter that much? As long as he's there. We'll cheer at the right times, but we're not going to really listen to him or do what he says.
but you can't do that with the King of Kings. So let's remember our name. Let's seek to get a bigger vision, starting with who Jesus is. Perhaps a Jesus you haven't really met in that way before. And I'm not you know, putting down any previous experiences or, or whatever. But a bigger vision of Jesus can lead to a bigger vision of the kingdom of heaven and who's there, who is there on the throne. Uh, I've got to stop at some point because the clock doesn't, but I'm not sure that this is really finished. I trust this will perhaps keep coming back uh, in the weeks to come. But I thought I would uh, read a bit more because if nothing else I've said has been worth much, then at least what I've read has been. And I don't know whether the musicians want to come and we start playing something to help us uh, consolidate what God has been saying. But I'll read a little bit more while that happens. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming up out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. So shall we spend a, a few moments that's left just perhaps uh, contemplating a little bit more on, on that? If you feel you need to fall down as his feet as though dead, <laughs> well, do something to, to make that seem real for you. But he will eventually touch you. He will bend down. He won't leave you there forever. And you'll say, I've got something for you to do. And I want you to start with a big vision of the Father on the throne with heaven coming down to earth through the reign and rule of Almighty God. <laughs>